Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I am joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, his decks may not be all that well-balanced in their colors, but they are definitely well-balanced in their power level. That's Matt Morgan. Joey, why can pirates never finish the alphabet? Something about R? No, no. The actual punchline is because they always get lost at sea. <laughs> oh, dang it. Oh, it? I tried to outsmart I tried to outsmart the dad joke, but there is just never any outsmarting. The, the key is the thinking joke. like a six year old. That's how you come up with the best ones. <laughs> that explains so much, Matt. It does. I love it. I absolutely love it. All right. Next, his decks are really well balanced in their colors, but they're definitely not balanced in their power level. That's Dana Roach. Uh, by the time this show airs, um Omnath will have been banned longer than it was legal. So I just wanted to throw that out there for anyone who is curious about how standard's been going lately. But you can also go get your Omnath for Commander now, since presumably the is. price will have dropped to a reasonable amount. That That is yeah. the hope. Oh, that is absolutely the hope. Oh, man. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the Commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all that data a little more context. Hey, Matt, what is it that we are talking about on this week's episode? This week, we're going to talk about some Commanders that maybe the colors are a little skewed. They're a little top-heavy on certain colors that are in their ideas identity. Absolutely. This should be a whole lot of fun. The commanders where it's just like, yeah, it's a two color deck, right? No, turns out there's like 60 green cards and like one white card or something like that. We're going to be going through all of those. So color skewed or kind of color lopsided commanders. Um, and you can look forward to next week when we talk about the more evenly distributed ones too. It should be a whole lot of fun. But of course, before we actually get to this really fun and exciting topic, guys, I am actually really excited to get to it. Before we get there, we have to give a huge thank you to the folks who help with all of the post-production on our show. That is Josh Lequai and the folks at the Command Zone, like Ashlyn Rose, Lady Danger, Mattson Lung. They do an excellent job. Thank you guys so much for all of the post-production work. It is so 
good, making it look as spiffy as it does. So thank you. And also thank you to our wonderful sponsors for the show too. Yes. Thank you very much for our sponsors, Card Kingdom and TCG Player. Card Kingdom has a fantastic buy list if you have unused cards you'd like to get rid of and use that uh, store credit to pick up an Omnath Locus of Creation, for example, now that the price has dropped. <laughs> uh, we're also sponsored by TCG Player that has probably the deepest available inventory online. Just go to EDH Rec and click on the card in question, uh, in this case, Omnath Locus of Creation. <laughs> go to the link below it to the site you'd prefer. Uh, doing so supports both us here on the cast and EDH Rec as a whole. Dana, I feel like you're uh, really interested in that old Omnath situation, aren't you? Fascinating to me. Fascinating. Well, if if you would like to not buy any Omnaths and you just want to support the show <laughs> directly, you can do that as well. You can go to patreon.com slash EDHRETCAST and you can join our patron page, which is an awesome place to do all sorts of different things. If you want to challenge some stats, we have a place for that. If you want to join our Discord, we also have a place for that. So patreon.com slash EDHRETCAST. You can support the show directly. No Omnaths required. And if you don't want to spend any money, you don't forget, just like and subscribe the channel, all of our videos. Mm -hmm. We appreciate that support. And that is absolutely free as well. Yeah, and it's awesome. Really great community in the Discord there, too. And there's also some other really cool perks going on, like every time that we stream on Wednesdays, twitch.tv slash EDHRECcast, we also have a document that we're sort of recapping how the games went that folks can tune into if you're a member of the patron. We've also got a uh, spreadsheet of all of our past challenges, the stats picks. It's a whole lot of fun. And then one other thing that we love to do, we love to shout out our listeners who are our patrons. So we shout out one patron per episode. This episode goes to Chris Slazinski. Thank you so much for being one of our patrons. We appreciate all the support that we get from all of you it is so 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 rad i went to high school with a chris slizinski actually do you think this could be the same person i didn't actually go to high school with a chris slizinski <laughs> ah well i also there feel it is, like then. anyone who went to school with matt probably isn't supporting the show at this point in time probably not <laughs> probably not <laughs> okay the savage reads have begun how about we get to our main topic so that that can just be put to bed all right let's get to it we are talking about those lopsided or color skewed commanders that weight very heavily towards one of their colors and not so heavily towards some of their others and we've arranged a list of the top 10 commanders that fit this description um basically we're sort of just measuring the average data as we see such as by taking the average deck list for the commander and examining how many cards there are of those different colors so we should have some whole lot of uh, really fun information there but there are just a few caveats that we want to get to before uh, we actually mention it. The first one is that we won't actually be counting anything from Zendikar Rising because at the time of the recording, it is still pretty fresh data. And we just want to give it a little bit more time to, to simmer to, you know, that way we can make sure that the numbers are right. Um, more on that later on in the episode. And the final thing is that we won't be counting any commanders that have less than 100 decks because we don't want to necessarily say, oh, this commander is really skewed when it has like only 12 decks to its name or something like that. It's kind of not a big enough sample size to measure basically yeah that, that caveat has been in pretty much any of our data heavy episodes if there's not very much data it's not really worth us ruminating on something when the sample size isn't big enough to make any valid conclusions anyway so yeah. pretty much anytime we do any of these episodes you can be assured if there's a command that has less than 100 decks we're just not going to take into account for the purposes of that episode Right. But with that said, there are some very popular commanders here that we've uh, found out about this particular data report that we're looking through. Very popular ones indeed that are very, very color skewed. So let's get to them. Dana, start us off. Who is our number 10 color skewed commander, lopsided color commander? Who we got? Our number 10 commander here is Surak Dragonclaw. That's the Timur Surak. Uh, 
2 and Teamer for a Human Warrior 6-6 with Flash. Uh, Surak Dragon Claw can't be countered, and creature spells you control also can't be countered. Other creatures you control have Trample. So he's just a big, stompy beater if you want to play green smashy stuff. <laughs> he is definitely very stompy. He's a uh, bear punchy person in the lore, if I recall. Let's be real. Matt, I know that you love Selesnia, but Sirak Dragonclaw is honestly the type of character that I associate with you whenever you're playing Commander. I have actually wrestled a bear once. That is not something I'm making up right now. Um, I don't know if I trust that. <laughs> well, it was that... it was at the Build-A-Bear, and I'm not allowed to go back anymore. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, there you go. That's there why he's go. not allowed back in the Build-A-Bear. <laughs> man. All right, so let's get to some of the numbers on here. He is our number 10 most color lopsided commander because there are 60 uh, cards in his average deck that have colored pips in their mana cost. And 51 of those 60 uh, cards are green. 51 of them. So that means that there are only nine non-green cards in a Surak deck. There are also 16 blue cards among those 60 color cards and about 13 red cards on average. This is pretty insane. Only nine non-green cards appear in an average Surak Dragonclaw deck. When I said is, Surak does like green smashy stuff, I've literally meant green smashy stuff. You really, really did. You absolutely did. There just aren't too many monocolored blue cards or monocolored red cards that appear on Surak's page because it is mostly the big trompley things, basically. Yeah, and, and this is taken into account multicolor cards. I know some people at home were thinking, oh, those numbers, th those aren't lining up. That doesn't, the math doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. uh, we are counting multicolor cards. So a card might yeah. be green and red, for example, that's still going to count as a green card in the stats that we're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. But that also just kind of means that even the numbers that we just listed there, 16 of the 60 cards are blue and 13 of the 30, uh, six, 30, 13 of the 60 cards are red. Most of the red cards are also green. Most of the blue cards are also green. Like that's kind of how it's going. So that's how lopsided this really is. There just aren't too many mono blue or mono red cards that show up on the average Surak data very often. The most popular ones that we see in blue, for example, are like Thrix the Sudden Storm and then like Counterspell and Cyclonic Rift, which are just kind of staples and not necessarily unique to this commander. And Matt, what are we seeing for mono red cards that appear on Surak's page? I mean, for mono red, you have Terror of the Peaks, which is a fantastic new card that fits into the mm. green punchy facey type a strategy Dana was hinting towards uh, <laughs> just because it just deals so much damage when you're casting all these high power creatures as soon as they enter the battlefield. Uh, we also have some cards like Shaman of the Great Hunt, even though that activated ability, it, it does kind of lean into the, the green and blue a little bit, but it's also just very a true. very powerful uh, creature. Uh, and then a Tali Primal Storm, and just, it's a red staple. It's a very powerful card, and I'm not going to fault you if you can play it and you are playing it. It it makes sense. So yeah, it's just playing some very good red staples that just happen to not be green in this instance. Yeah, but the majority of the stuff that we see on this page is like Goraclaw and Beast Whisper and a whole bunch of other really classic green staples. So a very color skewed commander right here going on. But that was just number 10. How about we move on now to number nine? Matt, who we got? Now we have Olivia Valderin, the original Olivia, um, back from Innistrad days. She's two and a Rakdos color combination uh, for a 3-3 legendary vampire with flying. Uh, you can pay one to ping a creature. Uh, and it becomes a vampire in addition to its other types and put a plus one plus one counter on Olivia. And you can pay three black black 
Uh, and you gain control of target vampire as long as you control Olivia. So lots of vampire tribal stuff going on there. There's 52 colored cards in the average deck and 47 of those 52 are black. It's a very black heavy deck and only five of them are non-black. Man, that is so crazy. And that probably sounds really low, like only 52 cards with colored pips. But yeah, so that would be like, you know, lands are also eating up at the negative space there or like artifacts, artifacts are also pretty yeah. prominent. Yeah, absolutely. But there are only five red cards is basically what we're seeing. There are actually um, 11 red cards total, but that would include like six red and black cards. So there are only five mono red cards in the average Olivia Voldaren deck. If you just scroll through her page, it's vampire after vampire after vampire after vampire. And the overwhelming majority of vampires definitely fall into the uh, into like the black slice of the color pie, basically, and very few of them. And are. I, I believe I have some breaking news. Uh, vampires tend to be in the color black when it comes to Magic the Gathering. I don't know if anybody's right. <laughs> heard that before, um, but it, it tends to be true. I mean, Innistrad was really the first set to at all dabble in the red space for vampires. And we've since had a second set that added a few more. But, like, there's 20 years uh, of magic prior to Innistrad and another, you know, closing it on 10 at this point afterwards of mono-black vampires. So, like, it, it's very understandable if you are building this deck as a vampire deck. The cards just the, the good cards just tend to be in black. It's really very similar to Surak. If you are building a big stompy deck, the big stompy stuff tends to be in green. That's just how those things have always been over a lot of years. Absolutely. Yeah. And of the things that we do see that are mono red cards on Olivia's page here, you've got like Rakish Air, which is a mono red vampire. And then there's Stencia Masquerade, which is a vampire enchantment that I'm not even personally too big of a fan of. And then after that, there's like Chaos Warp and Vandal Blast and uh, Blasphemous Act. But after, like aside from from those five red cards, there aren't any other mono red cards above 30% popularity on Olivia Voldaren's page. That is very color skewed. It's a it's a mono black deck that's splashing red for utility, essentially. I mean, basically, that's kind of how it yeah. feels, which you don't have to build it that way. That is just on average what we tend to see, which I think is really crazy. And admittedly, if I was building that deck as a vampire tribal deck, that's probably how I would wind up building it just because the, the cool vampires aren't black. Yeah. Yeah, no. And that's actually might not be the only time that we see vampires on this particular list, but more on that later. For now, we're going to move to number eight. Number eight. This one is Nayeth of the Dire Hunt, a more recent commander from Jumpstart. This is a four mana, three, three human warrior that says whenever one or more creatures you control fight or become blocked, you draw a card. And at the beginning of combat on your turn, you can pay three mana. That's two generic and then a gruel hybrid. And if you do, you double target creatures power until end of turn and that creature must be blocked this combat if able. So Naeth is pretty interesting here, but we might end up repeating ourselves a little bit. There are 60 cards with colored pips in their mana cost in the average Naeth deck, and uh, 56 of those are green. So that leaves only room for four mono red cards in this particular deck. That is very, very small. There are 13 total cards that have red in her average deck, so a lot of green and red cards, but only four mono red cards in Naeth's average deck. And again, the, the most popular mono red cards tend to be things that are functioning as utility. Mm -hmm. um, Chaos Warp, Gopher Blood, um, Silverclad Ferocidons, and Brass Tauntra, I guess, are creatures. But like again, it's very much using the utility effects here in, in red, and everything else is green. Well, and Dana, you just named the four mono red cards that show up above 30% popularity on her page, and that's it. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's those four. And after that, it's done. <laughs> it's just those. Yeah. Well, and when you look at all the fights, spells that kind of play into Naeth's ability 
they're all going to be green. There's maybe a couple that are hybrid, you know, for gruel colors, for example. Yeah. But typically the, the prey upon the, the, all those, you know, target creature fights another creature. Those are all in green. So that's probably why, you know, you're not seeing a bunch of mono red fight spells because red just doesn't do that on its own. Yeah, that's a really great observation. Well, up next in the number seven slot, Joey hinted at more vampire stuff to come. We have Edgar Markov, uh, three red, white, black for legendary vampire knight. And Edgar has eminence. Whenever you cast another vampire spell, if Edgar's in the command zone or on the battlefield, create a 1-1 black vampire creature token. He also has first strike and haste. And when he attacks, you put a plus one counter on each vampire you control. So even more than Olivia, Edgar is very much encouraging you to run vampires. And looking at the stats we have here, 53 colored cards in the average deck, 44 of the 53 are black. So there's only nine non-black cards in the deck. Uh, 17 of the 53 are white and seven of the 53 are red. Oh, well, and, and Dana, that point that you made about, you know, going to Innistrad, they finally dabbled in in red for vampires. It wasn't until Ixalan that they kind of dabbled in the white with vampires. So there's even smaller pool for white vampires that are going to yeah. fit into an Edgar Markov deck. Yeah, we, we occasionally would get one with in, in the Orzov guild, but like mm-hmm. we went from, you know, three white vampires to 15 with that set. But it is kind of funny that we got some white uh, vampires like in Ixalan, which came out way, way later. But at the same time, we are seeing white a little bit more often than we do see red in the average Edgar Markov deck. We've got some cards like Mavern Fane is one of its only really popular um, mono white vampires. I think there's also a forerunner of the Legion, which is like a vampire tutor, not a vampiric tutor, a vampire tutor. So like that shows up. But then aside from that, most of the white cards that we see, the most of the mono white cards that we see uh, on Edgar's page are again, those staples like swords to plowshares or, you know, Edgar Markov had the Teferi's protection come in the precon as well. So there's a lot of the role fillers in that category. So it is just kind of interesting to me that we have a bit more room for white in the deck than we do for red because, Again, only seven of the 53 cards have a red pip in their mana cost. Well, and, and white traditionally does a really good job at supporting token strategies. So a lot of those white cards yeah. are probably going to be some sort of thing that, that's going to benefit you from playing white. You know, you're a Cathars Crusade that's going to make all those tokens Edgar Markov makes into very big tokens or anointed procession we're seeing at a very large percentage because it's doubling mm-hmm. the tokens. So I think that's why you're seeing more white cards than red cards when it comes to Edgar Markov specifically. White also does a really good job with utility yeah. um, removal in particular. Mm-hmm. So I think you saw when you saw the Olivia deck, you saw, you know, some some red removal like Chaos Warp that's been supplanted by the white rule that's a little bit better, like Swords of Plowshares or something. Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. And when we look at the red cards that appear on this list, they're just, it's Rakish Air and Stensia Masquerade again. And after that, there are no other red cards that appear above 30% popularity on Edgar Markov's mage. No other mono red cards. Like what? Matt and I both had built this deck at one point in time. And at least in my version of it, I didn't have very much red. Was there much in yours, Mac? Not a whole lot, no. There, there were a couple madness enablers, but that was about it. Not, not a whole lot going on. It was mostly black-white, if I remember correctly. 
Yeah, and I really can't say that I'm surprised, but it is also just kind of shocking to see the data just yeah. weighted so heavily uh, to, to make it really, like, it, I don't know, it's just one of those things I'm like, I feel like I've got a, a decent feeling that that might be the case, but this just hardcore confirms it for sure. All right, so that was number seven. Let's move on now to number six. Matt, I think, oh, this is a Selesnia one. It should be right up your alley. It should be, and it is, because <laughs> it is the friend to all the good boys. Uh, Tulsimir, friend to wolves, is that commander. It is two green, green, white uh, for legendary elf scout when Tolsmir enters the battlefield you create voja friend to elves a legendary three three green and white wolf creature token and then whenever a wolf enters the battlefield you gain three life and that creature fights a creature you don't control 58 of the cards in this deck are colored um 54 of the 58 are green so of the 58 colored cards only four are non-green 11 of 58 are white <laughs> So, so that's four ridiculous. mono white cards. Yeah, four <laughs> mono white cards total for Tulsimir, friend to wolves. I, but but that's just it. There aren't white mono white wolves. There just right. aren't. If you're a wolf in the game of Magic, those are just classically going to be green cards. You've got way more of them in like the night pack stuff that Innistrad was always up to, as opposed to like I I can't think of what white has like tundra wolves. Wa- maybe watch wolf. But, like, <laughs> I think is one, but yeah, there's not. But many. that's. But that's just it. That's actually both colors. So again, it's just very, all of them are going to also be green, even if they are kind of in white. So uh, yeah, we just don't see a a whole lot for white here. There are a handful of cards like Rootborn Defenses is a kind of fun one that you see here. Mm -hmm. Mirror Entity, I will absolutely appreciate. We do have a decent popularity for that one on Tulsimir's page because it does also count as a wolf and it can pump up your army. I really like seeing that one. Um, And another fun one here is the Wanderer, which can prevent the fighting damage that your wolves are doing to people. But that's kind of it. The well dries up pretty quickly after that one yep it's once once again white as utility yeah yeah just being being the best utility color i mean it, it stinks that you can't make more wolves with uh, tolsamir's ability just because the token is legendary but all dogs are legendary because they're just great <laughs> so uh it's neither here nor there fair point once i oh no <laughs> well but matt i don't want all dogs to be legendary because that means i won't be able to have a ton of them I mean, you can find some ways. I'm sure there's some sort of loophole you can jump through, but let us. I, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. That's that's for that, another time. That's true. That's very true. Definitely for another time. And in fact, we've got more of these commanders we want to get to, but let's take a really brief pause and uh, let's challenge some stats before we get to our top five. This is one of our favorite segments on the podcast. We like to take a critical look at the data on Idiotrek because we don't always agree with it. Sometimes I think the cards are seeing too much play. Sometimes I think they're not seeing enough play. So we'd like to challenge those stats here. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I am going to start us off. Dana, I'm hoping to do you proud because I know that you love your obscure cards here. This is one that I don't even know if you've heard of. It's called Uba Mask. It is an artifact from Kamigawa. Do you know what this one does? I do know what it is, Joey. An Uba Mask is what I use for snorkeling. <laughs> um, I think you mean a scuba mask. 
I mean, uh, I think they pronounce it differently depending on where you're at. So maybe that's what they call it in Seattle. Uh, it, it is a regional dialect. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So Uva Mask is a very strange uh, card. It's a four mana artifact that says if a player would draw a card, that player removes that card from the game face up instead. And each player may play cards they have removed from the game with Uva Mask this turn. This thing's bizarre. It's weird. But the ultimate point here is that it doesn't let people draw cards. It keeps them out of cards in their hand. And there's a commander from Jumpstart who probably really likes it when people don't get to have a lot of cards in their hand. That is Tiny Bones Trinket Thief, the two mana skeleton rogue that can uh, draw cards when your opponents discard stuff. But the more interesting part is the six mana activated ability where each opponent loses 10 life if they have no cards in their hand. So after you've made them discard all the cards and you want to keep them with no cards in their hand, Uba Mask is a great way to make sure that even if they play some huge draw spell, they don't get to take proper advantage of it. This doesn't even show up on Tiny Bones' page at all yet. There are nearly 300 Tiny Bones decks, and I think that Uba Mask is one that you should really take a look at if you are playing Tiny Bones, because it keeps hands empty, so you can just keep on repeating that activated ability to just end your opponents. It's a whole lot of fun. Matt, I feel like you're giving me the stink eye because of how nasty this particular combo is. No, but I, I can hear Josh and Jimmy over the command zone just shuddering so fiercely at the <laughs> idea that you're encouraging people to play Tiny Bones. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to like that very much. Our editing might look a little spotty for this episode. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sure. We'll, we'll just say that we're talking about a scuba mask instead of uba mask. Scuba <laughs> mask, yes. We're talking about deep sea fishing. All right. Dana, what do you got? Um, uh, the card I have here is a, a Patreon supporter suggested card brought to us by Maury Owlty. And the card is Martyr's Cause. It's two and a white Ooh. for an enchantment. And the uh, Oracle text reads, sacrifice a creature. And the next time a source of your choice would deal damage to any target this turn, prevent that damage. So I think this is a card we um, first used for a challenge of stats a year or two ago, it was definitely quite a while ago, but the numbers really haven't changed on it at all. And what's really useful about Martyr's Cause, in addition to just being a free sack outlet, which is fantastic in a whole bunch of different decks, is the source uh, is the source of your choice. It's not targeted. So it gets mm -hmm. around Hexproof, gets around Shroud. You just pick the thing, sacrifice the creature, and print the damage. It's a really, really useful sack outlet that also has a really, really useful ability baked into it. That is a really, really cool one. Uh, I see that Moriarty points out that this is especially useful in their Kaikar deck because of all of the spirit tokens that you mm -hmm. get. Um, I mean, I prefer the Aristocrats versions myself, but uh, Moriarty, I'm glad that your uh, fellow bird commander definitely makes great use of this one for sure. And also, I loved you. You are such a good bad guy in Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's Moriarty. Excuse me. My bad. Well, I still this, like this, this challenge. It's still a the, good challenge. It's still a good card. The bird version of Sherlock, I would assume. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, there it is. Oh, man. So, yeah, I absolutely love that. And, of course, Dana, you had to pick this one because it, it was an obscure enchantment from who knows when, right? And I, and I assume it's called actually Sherhawk in that case. Okay, no, we, Matt, take it away, take it away. We can't, n enough with the puns. Okay, so I have a card. Uh, it's also a jumpstart card that uh, Joey's talking about, but it's going to be a card that you want to pair with the, the card. So in Allosaur Shepherd decks, you obviously don't want any of your stuff to get countered because the card is all about, you know, the spell itself can't be countered, green spells you control can't be countered, and those are two abilities that it seems a lot of people are keying in on. You can also activate the ability, turn all your creatures into 5-5 dinosaurs, pretty cool but people are spending more than 
enough money to buy a fetch lane with it, a scalding tarn, uh, $100 plus at cardkingdom.com slash EDHREC, where you can pick one <laughs> up if you really want. But there's another card that I think you, people are not playing enough of that gives some extra redundancy and also just a nice budget alternative to uh, is Rhythm of the Wild. It is one green and a red for an enchantment that says creature spells you control can't be countered and then non-token creatures you control have riot, uh, which is when they enter the battlefield, you can either give them haste or a plus one plus one counter. So if you're spending all this money on an Allosaur Shepherd, you're just trying to protect your creatures Having an enchantment version of that type of card is going to be very, very good and pretty valuable probably considering you can't really kill enchantments near as easily as you can kill creatures. So it's just much, much harder to get rid of on, you know, for your opponents. But it's also nice if you have to reestablish your battlefield. Say somebody casts the Wrath of God, blows up the entire battlefield. Rhythm of the Wild will stick around, but also you can give your creatures haste to then start attacking right away with. I think it's just a nice additional piece of, of redundancy for any deck that wants those, you know, your spells can't be countered type of effects. And, you know, when you consider it's, you know, a 50th of the price, you really can't go wrong. Currently, only 27% of decks that are playing Allosaurus Shepherd are also playing Rhythm of the Wild. I think that number should be significantly higher. Allosaurus Shepherd, I can't get over the price tag on this thing. So it is I a little silly, yes. It's obnoxious. Wizards reprint, please. But uh, I do like having other budget alternatives there, too. Although I do think that the numbers might be influenced in some ways because Allosaurus Shepherd, as I understand it, may be used in some more competitive spheres. So be aware mm -hmm. of that as well. Um, but I mean... I prefer the budget version. That's just me. Yeah, if you need a cheaper version just to replace it all together, Rhythm of the Wild, you cannot really go wrong. And one great thing about Rhythm, I'll just briefly mention too, because of the, the riot effect, if you have another haste source out or you someone mm -hmm. is playing an authority mm -hmm. to the consoles so haste becomes meaningless, you can still then get some benefit from it by using the plus one counters portion of it. So it does yep. stack really nicely too. Sometimes redundant haste effects aren't great because if you happen to have multiples, they don't do anything. Rhythm kind of works around that. It's a really, really good card. Definitely should get played more. Alrighty, fun stuff, guys. But I want to get back to our main topic. Let's go to our top five most color lopsided, color skewed commanders. Our number five entrant will probably not surprise anyone. This is Omnath Locus of the Royal, the three color teamer version of Omnath before he went and got another color and then broke standard in half. This is the four mana teamer, three, three elemental. When it enters the battlefield, Omnath deals damage to any target equal to the number of elementals you control. And whenever a land enters, enters the battlefield under your control, you put a plus one counter on target elemental you control, and if you control eight or more lands, you draw a card. This is a really savage commander, all things considered. There are 59 cards with colored pips in their mana cost in the average Omnath deck, so a lot of room is being taken up by lands for sure. 49 of the 59 cards that have colors in their mana cost, 49 of them are green. So there are only 10 non-green cards in this three-color deck, only 10 non-green cards. Uh, and a little bit worse, 15 of that 59, 15 of them are red, and 10 of them are blue. Which, you know what, at least red's not in last place this time. Yeah, um, I guess that's something, but um, <laughs> Moist Omnath, um, the, the most common mono-red cards here in our damp little buddy is Flamekin Harbinger, <laughs> Smoke Braider, Incandescent Soul Stoke, and Bright Hearth Banneret Elementals. So Elemental. we've got some red elementals here for our little wet friend. Well, and, and <laughs> the blue cards for Sognath. Um, Sognath? No. Soggy. Oh, goodness. Soggy Omnath, excuse me. 
that they ran together. But the blue cards in there also happen to be, I mean, they're also elementals. You have stuff like Mole Drifter, which is an elemental, uh, Royal Elemental, another powerful card. Uh, but then you also have all those staples, you know, Cyclonic Rift, Counterspell, all those kind of just blue, stick them in any deck running blue because you can. Um, so it seems like, you know, Moist Omnath wants to just protect himself a little bit and then play some more elementals. Well, that's just it, actually. Like, you mentioned there might be, like, all those blue staple tar- Like, no, it actually kind of ends right there at Cyclonic Rift and Counterspell. We don't even have other blue counterspells. We don't even really have many other blue removal spells. Nothing else showing up uh, in very substantial popularity here. So Omnath is just so heavily weighted towards green that even though there are some interesting cards that red and blue can offer, they just don't appear very much. Yeah, it, there's just a lot of elementals here, and... This deck doesn't have to be built as an elemental deck. True. Um, so I'm kind of surprised they're that high. That's actually very fair. You could totally build this as a not elemental tribal deck at all if you just wanted to go further in the landfall, which probably means that the colors get even more skewed after that. Mm-hmm. All right. So that was number five. Matt, who is at number four? So number four is Joyra, Weatherlight Captain. She's two in Is It Colors. And whenever you cast a historic spell, you draw a card. That's it. That's the whole card. Nothing else to be said here. But of the cards in the actual 99 of the deck, uh, 28 are colored. And it's very, very low, we know. But that's because most of the deck are artifacts that we found. Uh, you know, historic spells includes artifacts, the, the, the card type artifact. So there are a great deal of colorless cards in the average Joyra deck. But of the 28 cards that do have a color, 25 of them are blue. So only five mono red cards exist in the typical Joyra deck. Only three mono red cards. Excuse me, only three. Five red cards, three mono red. Yeah, so th- that's the other detail. So only five total red cards, which means there are two is it cards, three mono red cards, a lot of artifacts, and then a lot of blue cards. So artifacts have budged out red so much that it doesn't even get to really represent very much in this Joyra deck. Well, in of the two mono red cards above 30%, um, Reckless Fireweaver and Deflecting Swat. Deflecting Swat is a really new card. It's, yeah. it's entirely possible that if we, we do this show a month or two ago, there's one red card on the list. Yeah, absolutely. Just the Reckless Fireweaver, which I think does damage when artifacts enter, yep. so it can be nice if Jorva is, like, comboing off. But red just doesn't... Like, red's a really great artifact color, but is just so good at the blue things that she's like, ah, I guess I uh, don't need the red versions. She's an independent woman, Joey. She doesn't need red holding her down. <laughs> There you go. I just feel bad for Red. It hasn't had a, it's just, it's always seems to be in last place. It might be a theme that we touch on as we're closing out the show. Anyway, let's move on to our final one. Ooh, uh, Matt, I just read what our number three, uh, lopsided commander here is. And, um, I'm a fan. This is, I'm a fan. This is one. Yeah. You, I think you'd like it. I think this is one you really like. So let's throw it back to you. What is this number three commander? Well, number three is probably my longest living uh, commander deck. And that is Omnath Locus of Rage. So he's the seven mana red green Omnath. He was only the second version. Um, the first one not to dominate standard in any sort of way. So that's, that is nice. <laughs> that's credit to him. Um, but he's pretty straightforward. Has a landfall ability. Whenever a land enters the battlefield, you create a 5-5 five, five elemental token. And then whenever Omnath or another elemental that you control dies, you get to throw a lightning bolt at something. Whether it's a player, a planeswalker, or a creature, you just get to lightning bolt something. So in the average deck, there are 55 colored cards in there. 51 of them are green. So only four... Uh, mono red cards. 
Only four. Only four. Only four. That it is a huge, huge percentage. And as much as some of the new Zender cards that we have coming out, those might skew the numbers a little bit. They might help average it out. I looked at my exact Omnath deck, and it's not too far off, actually, from the stats that we are seeing. Yeah, there are 10 total red cards that show up, so that means that there are like six gruel cards that are both colors, but only four mono red cards. That is just a very low showing, and it is also not the first time that Omnath has been on this list, nor indeed the landfall strategy. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Uh, Dana, of the mono red cards that we're seeing in the average deck, like what ones do appear that actually give him any notable, like any red presence in his deck? So where Ancients Tread and Warstorm Surge are the two that really jump out um, to enchantments that deal damage to people based on creatures coming into play. So you're making a bunch of big, beefy elementals when you play lands, and those are then dealing damage to creatures. So those, of course, make complete sense in here. Then you have things like Goblin Bombardment to sacrifice those creatures to also do damage to people. Totally logical. Uh, Blasphemous Act, just as a fantastic board wipe, that's also going to do a bunch of damage to people when all those elementals die. So mm-hmm. it, it's all stuff that isn't surprising here at all. Terror of the Peaks, just a good card. And the one thing I want to really point out is Valakut Exploration is mm-hmm. already showing up in this list, despite being legal in Commander like 200 hours or something. It's barely <laughs> been out. So the notable point there is that's a really, really good card. And, it's a very, very uh, good card. It's just yeah. really good. So, But basically all the cards that you just listed there are just other ways of having Omnath deal a lot of damage. Like yes, that is yes. the function of red in this deck is damage, they're, damage, damage, damage. They're basically all extra arms for Omnath. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it turns out Omnath has like 17 arms and it's just because he's so ancient and has been treading that where ancients, where ancients tread is just Omnath on another card. Well, it's just so crazy because like there are really cool red cards. And in fact, I like all the ones that you just mentioned. But again, there's only four mono red cards in the average deck. So even the ones that you mentioned, not all of them tend to show up in the average uh, deck together is the thing. It is a whole lot of landfall stuff going on. You've got your Avenger of Zendikars. You've got your Titanias. You've got your Rampaging Baylots. And then tons of green finding the lands. Green finding the lands. Green finding the lands is just so dominant on the page that it really pushes red not quite out of the occasion. Uh, uh, out of the equation, excuse me, but it is just very, very heavily leaning towards one color way more than the other. But that was just our number three. Dana, how about we get now to our number two? Our number two commander here is Tiana Ship's Caretaker, which is a card I had kind of forgotten even existed. <laughs> um, Tiana's three and Boros for a flying first strike angel. And whenever an aura or equipment you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you may return that card to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. So I think this is probably the least played card we here have in this list. It's only in 219, or it only heads 219 decks, mm. but of those decks, they are very heavily skewed. Um, there's 51 colored cards in her average deck, 48 are monocolored, and three are multicolored. And hmm. 46 of the 51 are white, leaving only eight of 51 that are red. So there are only five mono red cards and three red and white cards in the deck. That doesn't bode well for red once again. It does not at all. 
Yeah. Well, so, um, Matt, what mono red cards do we sometimes see on Tiana's page? I mean, it's a lot of mono white auras, which is definitely a specialty of white, actually. But what is red contributing? Well, so red plays our Lord and Savior, Valda, Keeper of the Flame, which is another <laughs> one of my favorite commanders. So it's nice to see Tiana's, you know, playing all the good stuff that I like. Um, <laughs> Valdek obviously benefits a lot from having all those auras on there and makes a bunch of elementals, but also happens to be from Dominaria. And we've seen uh, in a lot of the, the types of cards and commanders that we've talked about, uh, when cards are in the same set as a commander, typically they get a little boost there in the numbers. Uh, but we also see stuff like Champion of the Flame, which gets bigger the more auras that are on it. Um, we also have some cards like Flame Speaker's Will, which is a nice little artifact removal spell that also happens to be something you recur with Tiana. So there's a lot of different kind of mono red auras that you see Dragon Mantle come in, draw a card. So all sorts of different things like that that seem to benefit from Tiana being able to recur them over and over again. They are there. They are just not popular is the only problem or great either yeah that would be another issue like the majority of her page is just so dominated by the enchantress effects that you get that just aren't really necessarily in red's wheelhouse so you've got your mesa enchantress your sage's reverie your sigil of the empty throne your sram senior edificer you've got all of those really like this is a specialty of white we have certainly talked at length on so many podcasts and so many other shows have too uh, talked about like things that white isn't necessarily good at versus things that it is. This is definitely a specialty of whites. This is Enchantress stuff. This Voltron-y style is definitely a thing that it can really lean into, which I love seeing, but it comes at Red's expense, and that makes me a little bit sad. Yeah, um, unfortunately, in all of these commanders we're looking at, Red comes up short every single time. <laughs> every time. And, and I'm, a, I'm a little surprised because I think Red has gotten much better in commander over the last few years, but I, I guess the way it's gotten better isn't in in ways that support other colors, I guess. So people, right. it's gotten better, but it's not gotten better in a way that makes you run more red cards in your red-green deck or your red-white deck or something. Yeah, that absolutely tracks for me. And um, I don't know, Dana, maybe I'll just go ahead and spoil it early. <laughs> that pattern will continue for our final, our number one commander. We are once again back at the landfall because the number one most color imbalanced commander from the data that we're seeing here is... Lord Windgrace. This is the Jund Planeswalker Commander. Starts with five loyalty. You can plus two to discard cards. You'll draw extra if you discard lands. You can minus three to get lands back from your graveyard, and he can minus ten to destroy a bunch of stuff and make a whole bunch of cats. Really love this guy. Really fun for Jund Landfall, but doesn't even really count as Jund Landfall when it's basically just a gold Gari deck and there aren't many red cards. The numbers show us that there are 55 total cards that have colored pips in their mana cost here. Um, 48 of the 55 are green, so there are only seven non-green cards in this three color deck. 13 out of those 55 are black cards and nine out of the 55 are red cards. So that maybe doesn't sound so bad, but again, all of the red cards are also green. Like almost all the black cards are also green. You've got stuff like Omnath in there, but that's also green. You've got stuff like Gidrog Monster in there, but again, it's also green. There just are not many like actual mono black or mono red cards. So maybe I spoke too soon when I said it was basically a Golgari deck. This commander is actually pushing out two colors in favor of green and not just one. Well, and I think a lot of the things that we said about the, the teamer Omnath also applies here. You know, the, it's mainly mm -hmm. green, a little bit of red, and then a splash of that third color. I think that applies a lot here because all the best, you know, land ramping spells happen to be green. So it makes a lot of sense why so many of these 
you know, landfall or, or lands matter type of commanders also are leaning very heavily into the color that best provides that source of mana advantage. For sure. It's just so overwhelming. Matt, of the mono black cards that actually do appear on Lord Windgrace's page, what are we seeing? Well, of the mono black cards, only three are showing up above 30%. Um, not too many at all. But first up, we have Obnixilis, the creature. Um, obviously, when you're playing lots of lands, getting lots of landfall abilities, it's not too bad of a card to be running. We also have Retreat to Hagra and then Torment of Hailfire. So oh. lots of life manipulation going on there. Anything that has black, you know, you're not going to be surprised to see those types of cards. So black specialty in this deck is definitely making people lose the life. Make, yeah, you could say that for sure. <laughs> yeah. And then of the mono red cards that we've got before Zendikar Rising gave us like the new Morag and uh, Nahiri's Lithoforming and Dana's new favorite Valakut Exploration. The only popular mono red card that appeared on Lord Wing Grace's page was from the precon Nesting Dragon. Aside from that, like the only other card that was even above 20% inclusion on Wingrace's page was like Chain Reaction. Again, a card from the precon. So Zendikar Rising helped out a lot to help try and rebalance uh, Lord Wingrace. But even then, he is so heavily skewed that he's still pushing out those two colors to make a very green landfall strategy for this ostensibly three color deck that really just favors one color. Yeah, I mean, even the, the good red cards it got tend to do things that there's a green version of already and decks only have so much room. So it's, it, it gets really difficult in these decks to find slots sometimes. And when you're competing against green, that's a losing <laughs> battle for every color. Apparently. <laughs> apparently. Well, that's just it. Like that is kind of a, we, I think we've all had this sense that like green seems really good in commander. And like, there are plenty of ways that we can point at the evidence of it, but this is just one more piece to add to that pile. I think like things really heavily skew in the case of some strategies and in some colors. And let's go through uh, some of those now too, actually. Like, I just think it was interesting to note the uh, things that we lean towards. It's basically green down the entire line. Like when we actually look towards all of these things, things weight towards green. And in fact, it took until entrant number 61 on this list, which happened to be Ural the Mist Stalker before green was finally outweighed by another color it still wasn't the least common color though because again that is a that's a naya commander and there was red in that one too and there were only five red cards in a year old <laughs> mist deck so even then it wasn't last place so going farther than to find an actual place where green was the last placed color in one of its decks where it was skewed against green that was entrant number 100 edric spymaster of trust and that was because he had 19 uh, green cards, but 45 blue cards. It took until number 100 for us to find a, a color where green was completely in last place. That's well, insane. That, yeah, that's It nuts. is a little insane, but it's also insane to want to not play the best color. So, <laughs> Mr. Bias. It's like, yeah. it's, it's insane, but it's not surprising. It's not surprising right. at all, no. And, and you have, you know, in Edric's Spymaster Chest, you have all those evasive one drop creatures that blue does fairly well so mm -hmm. yeah i guess i guess we, we <laughs> see why that's happening well i'm gonna add some salt to the wound for folks who are um, a little sad about red unfortunately it doesn't get much better for red because it isn't just these examples where red is biased against in a whole lot of cases things very consistently skew against red all down the list it took us until entrant number 74 on this list which happened to be obosh the prey piercer before red finally became the weightier color and even then it barely outmatched the black cards in an obosh deck so yeah surprisingly like i really enjoy playing red actually like now that i've seen the new stuff that they're doing with red cards i think they're really cool but the data is still showing us that 
like the decks that play red don't play a lot of red is all. Yeah, it's uh, it's too it's unfortunate if you are uh, a fan of, of the color red, but that's it's the reality. It's just not represented very heavily in Commander for whatever reason. Yeah. But I, I do think that's getting better. Like we kind of hinted at a couple yeah. times today, mm-hmm. red has gotten significantly better over the past couple of years. Uh, Zendikar Rising gave red a lot of really good toys. I found myself cutting green card after green card after green card and replacing with a red card with my Omnath Locus of Rage deck. I do think things are getting better for red, but it's an uphill battle for sure. Absolutely. And hey, you mentioned Zendikar Rising there. Earlier at the top of the show, we mentioned that we didn't count any of the Zendikar Rising commanders among any of this particular list, but let's play pretend. Let's imagine that we had. Matt, if we had included some of the Zendikar Rising commanders, how would they have fared on our list? What data would we have seen there? Would they be as lopsided here? Well, somehow people are still getting copies of Omnath Locus of Creation, despite, (laughs) you know, destroying standard, but it's banned now, so the numbers will only go up, right? I think so. Uh, But looking at Omnath Locus of Creation through this lens that we've been going through, uh, we have 58 total cards that have one or more colors. 46 of them are green, 11 are blue, 8 are white, and then 6 are red. So it is just like every other commander that we've talked about. It's pretty heavily skewed towards the green color yet again. And in this case, the way that we've actually drawn and balanced out against the number of colors that this thing is shoving aside, Omnath would have been number one if we had counted Zendikar Rising Commanders, because it is so green. Like, there's only 12 non-green cards. There's so much green that it's outbalancing three other colors in that deck. That is not an even distribution, like, at all. (laughs) Not at all. All right, so... um, it doesn't stop there because uh, Dana, who who would have been number four on the list if we had included Zendikar Rising Commanders? If we would have counted Zendikar Rising, we would have also had Phylath at number four with 58 total cards of color, 52 being green and only 10 are red. Huh. We would have had Obun at number eight with 43 green cards compared to 15 white and seven red there as well. Oh, man. So basically what we're saying is that Landfall Uh, This is obvious to everyone, I'm sure, but Landfall is definitively the most color imbalanced strategy that you can possibly have, y'all. Landfall is very popular and it very heavily skews green. So yeah, that's that's the big takeaway here for sure. Yeah, well, and that's just it. We didn't count these because we do want to give time for the data to like, you know, simmer and actually sort of correct itself maybe. But I also don't think that this is the kind of thing that's going to change. I don't see this skew changing at all over time. Probably not. Basic forest OP, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, there's other some some fun stuff that we can finish out with on this. You know, we just went through the top 10, but there's some other stuff that I think might be fun to throw in here, too. Um, You know, the most lopsided five color commander that we could see on this list was. Can you guys guess it? Can you guess what it would be? Um, I'm going to guess Golos because it's landfall. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's landfall heavy. So Golos probably is up there. Um, that is a very educated guess, and it was my guess as well because it has a strong tendency toward landfall, but it is actually beaten out by the screaming baby child of Alara. Mm. Um, and it's actually not as skewed as I thought it might be. There are 32 cards uh, that are green. Again, it skews towards green to help color fix for all the five colors. Um, and it goes down, there's like 13 blue, and it goes down to only six red once again. So even in this case, a five-color deck. And then aside from Omnath, the most lopsided four-color commander would have been Berea because there are 26 blue cards, but again, only eight red cards and only like nine black cards and like 11 and white no cards. And no green. You know what? That's true. <laughs> That's There's the no green right for Berea. there. 
So yeah, that's just kind of interesting. Like as we're looking through these landfall and then in fact artifacts as we're looking through these, those tend to be pretty skewed landfall obviously towards green, but we also had like three different artifact commanders among the top 50. So that is another uh, type of strategy that is also very color skewed in this case towards red. Um, in this case, towards blue. Sorry, I just really wanted red to have something, but it doesn't get that. It was in this case towards blue because we had stuff like Sidri appeared there, Brea appeared there. So it is very weighted in that case too. So landfall definitely takes the cake, but other strategies can also totally lean towards that. And it isn't just strategies either. Like Matt, I'm sure that you noticed there are some tribes also that definitely appear to skew towards one color way more than the other. Yeah, well, like Dana said earlier, uh, vampires for a very long time were mono black throughout the history of the game. It wasn't until Innistrad that they started getting a red splash and Ixalan that they got a white splash. So those typically are going to be, you know, heavy and very, very, very reliant on the black color. Uh, zombies are going to be the same way. You know, they have four mm -hmm. in the top 50, four commanders in the top 50 are going to be the, that zombie tribal really leaning into black. Uh, wizards, they tend to be blue, if you didn't know, and you hadn't been playing Magic for the past, you know, 20 years. <laughs> but they, they also put two commanders into the top 50 just for being blue and reliant. But you also have elves. You, I, I would dare you to find an elf deck that doesn't play a lot of green cards. So, yeah, the <laughs> tribes typically have that one color that they start from and they kind of season out and branch out, you know, as the, the game has evolved from there. Yeah, like you mentioned, we saw a whole lot of zombies among, you know, when we were looking through this lens, a whole lot of vampires, a whole lot of wizards as well. Um, but then it also just totally makes sense for a bunch of other tribes too, because I... I want to find a deck where elves are not the most popular in the green. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it, but Matt, I'm accepting your challenge. Good luck, <laughs> man. Good luck. So this is all very interesting data, um, but it's more than just interesting. It's I think it's actually pretty relevant in quite a few situations. Um, the first one that comes to mind here is cards like Nick those Shrine to Nick's that care about the devotion mm -hmm. you have to a certain color. I feel like it usually isn't something you want to play in a three-color deck because it's so difficult to hit that devotion in a way that's meaningful. Unless you're playing one of these commanders that skews ridiculously towards one direction, in which case you may well have more pips in that deck that's three colors than some decks do that are two colors just because of, of how the balance is towards, what let's face it, green most of the time. Um, so, so this data does wind up being very relevant in how you brew, whether it's, you know, cards like Nykthos being impactful, cards like Great Merchant, mm -hmm. the land base and the land, land spread you're going to run in terms of, like, what colors you're going to generate. A lot of this really does matter um, for these decks and for a lot of decks, even if your deck isn't so heavily skewed to one direction, it still probably has a skew and you still should probably look at that and try to figure out if you need to balance things appropriately. And a, a good point to kind of build off of that is we talked a lot about landfall decks being very, very heavily invested into the green color, but that's because you have so many staples like Nature's Lore, Cultivate, Kadama's Reach, all those spells, but they're not permanents on the battlefield. Right. So they're not going to be sticking around for you to get man off Nykthos like, you know, Dana, you were kind of hinting at just there. So, yeah, I like that point that, you know, yes, the deck may be skewed with the spells, but are the permanents skewing towards a certain color as well? And that's a that's a very, very important factor that I 
I hadn't really kind of thought of that until now, but I like that point. So yeah, that's that's a really good thing that I think a lot of listeners could benefit from, um, just keeping that in the back of their mind. Well, not only that, but if you're playing against one of these decks, name green if you've got protection from a color, apparently. <laughs> right. Like yeah. if you see Lord Windgrace and you've got protection from green, it's going to be way better than if you had protection from red because they don't have a whole lot of red presence in that deck. Yeah, good point. And this, yeah, I really love, especially with attention to your mana base, this is a whole lot of fun to go over all of these lopsided color skewed commanders but um this is part one of two we do have a more even distribution episode coming down the line we'll take a look at the commanders where the colors are actually sharing a whole lot of the load and not just one color is shoving away the other color and only one is doing all of the work um so it should be a whole lot of fun stay tuned for next week but for now guys this is just awesome i really loved this particular topic thanks so much for joining me and uh let's call this episode to a close if our listeners want to get in touch with us where is it that they can find you all matt you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. You can also catch us Wednesday evenings streaming games, twitch.tv slash EDHRETCAST. Make sure you tune in because we're having a blast every single week and it would be a shame to miss it because, well, Joey doesn't always win, just usually hey. wins. <laughs> oh, that's not even true. You guys destroy my graveyard and then I'm completely helpless. Anyway, how about you, Dana? You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central, and you can find all of us on patreon.com slash EDHRecast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. You can find the cast at EDHRecast on Facebook and on Twitter. And if you have a question, you can contact us at EDHRecast at gmail.com. Our thanks once again to Josh Lequai and the entire team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast. And of course, our thanks to our sponsors. They are TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC. And that shows your support for the show. We will be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>